David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. You are tuned into a special episode of the Beyond the Pond podcast. Of course, this is the podcast which, generally speaking, Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a means of introducing a listener to other bands. These are usually not jam bands because we love Fish. We are Fish fans. The problem with Fish fans is that sometimes they're undying Love for their favorite band just completely manifests itself to the point where they don't listen to any other music. And that's kind of weird and it's kind of sad. I love that you can recount the set list from your memory, standing on your head, doing a keg stand upside down. But you got to listen to other bands. You have to. I mean, mm. you have to. If you don't listen to any other bands, well, how many versions of Tweezer are you going to listen to? I mean, there's only like 400. You know, (laughs) so we're here to help you all to get away from just listening to the like 25 Mike's jams that have ever happened and spreading your mind, spreading your heart out to all the other music beyond the pond. And this episode is very special in that sense. As Dave said, this is a bonus episode. We are continuing our path through the 2010s, through our best albums of the 2010s, leading ourselves all the way up to the top albums of the decade. We are stopping here midway point 2015, a huge year for myself. I think a pretty big year for Fish and a pretty big year for humanity and the country as a whole. Mm. Like the last very good year. It was a very good last year. Um, <laughs> Dave, tell me a little bit about who you were as a listener and as a person in 2015. 
2015, my daughter turned one in October of 2015. So 2015 was just a lot of me trying to get through that. I remember 2015, obviously, Fair the Well was in 2015. Mm-hmm. That was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Seeing uh, Trey Anastasio sing Scarlet Begonias while sitting on my couch at my parents' basement with like, I've never grinned that hard in my life. That was awesome. <laughs> Fish's summer tour in 2015 was dynamite. I also remember because uh, my daughter turned one in October, I think around that time there was like three or four shows at Radio City Music Hall my wife and I wanted to see, so we decided to celebrate. So I think we saw like The War on Drugs, we saw Tame Impala, we saw New Order, we just decided to go off and just see a bunch of shows to celebrate uh, our kid turning one. Racking up babysitter fees. <laughs> but I seemed to like 2015. That was the last full year where I didn't have to worry about the president too much because I knew that he technically had our best interest at hand. Yes. But, you know, that felt good. Yeah, 2015 was a massive year for me. If you guys listen to our 2014 episode, you know that Dave spent the majority of that year preparing to be a dad. Well, it was my turn in 2015. Uh, my wife and I uh, found out in early February that we were going to be having uh, a baby. Due date was October 9th, and uh, we spent the whole spring, summer preparing. It's like distant, cool, the leaves are going to change color, it's going to get cool again. Date out in the distance, and then... Uh, as we're recording, basically four years ago, so I got on a plane on September 10th. Um, I had four weeks. Doctor said everything was okay. I had a free flight. I flew back to Chicago to see my friends and my family. And uh, while I was airborne, my wife's water broke. Uh, Don't. So, yeah. <laughs> so I got on a flight the next morning, flew back to Maryland, and um, we had our son on the wee hours of September. 12th, 2015. So uh, that was basically where my head was throughout the entire year was preparing to and then becoming a dad. But yeah, similar to you, Fish had an amazing summer that year. That's my favorite uh, tour of all of 3.0. I spent the spring listening to every single spring, 92, 93, 94, 95 show from Fish. Uh, on their anniversaries, it was an, a massive listening project. I basically didn't listen to any other music other than Fish, so I was learning how I needed to go beyond the pond at that point in time. But yeah, you would have been our target, uh, our target audience. Yes, completely. I learned a lot about the band, though. It was it was really awesome listening to those tours and then uh, and listening to them in real time, and then going into such a phenomenal summer tour. Um, but then I spent the majority of the fall diving into a lot of music that I had um, missed throughout my the early part of the year and um, really falling in love with a lot of records that uh, that we're going to talk about here um, here shortly. Should we get started? Absolutely. Why don't you kick it off? All right. So my number 10 is a record. 2015 was a big year for me musically, especially in this last half of the year, because uh, as you'll see, this, this, this list is a bit different from my past list in the year um i don't know what it was leading up to 2015 i didn't have that great of a interest in like more folk and like roots type of americana music if you will 
and 2015 especially in the fall kind of going into hibernation with my young family and uh kind of turning my life inward towards this like amazing joy of having a child completely changed how I was listening to music and my number 10 record is Mandolin Orange Such Jubilee which uh, Mandolin Orange are a duo from North Carolina they're kind of in that same uh circle that runs around with Hisco the Messenger and Phil Cook amongst other bands um this was a record passed to me by my brother and it really was like one of those early morning Especially on like the weekends, I'd get up on the weekends and just spend like three hours with my son while I let my wife sleep um, because she usually was with him during the week at that during during that time. Um, and I, you know, just kind of hang out in the morning, make some coffee, hang out with him, have some music on in the background. And this was just a record that was consistently there for me. And every time I listen to it, I can like visualize holding my kid at like six weeks old and. Uh, it's a really sweet, really somber, um, but just kind of really personal record that uh, uh, will always remind me of, uh, of fall 2015. So I absolutely love it. I've got to listen to that. I've not heard that album. I think you dig it. It, it falls in line with a lot of like the, um, like I said, like Americana music, just very well-crafted songs, really well-recorded uh, instrumentation. And um, the, the, the two, the two members of the band, um, Andrew Marlin and uh, Emily France, just like their their harmony, harmonies are just absolutely beautiful. Okay. So while we're on the subject of well-written, well-recorded Americana music, my number 10 from 2015 is My Morning Jacket, The Waterfall. Mm. Good little record. Yeah. Probably, um, I was not a huge fan of the one that came before it, Circuital, which I thought was kind of boring. But certainly the waterfall was a good course correction. Um, I was actually in preparation for this podcast, listening to my 2015 top tracks on Spotify and the song Believe, the first song in the record came on. And I thought, oh, this is a really good song. It's, um, they had, that was their last studio record was in 2015. I know Jim James put out um, some solo albums, all of which have one thing in common is that they're not as good as, my morning jacket albums <laughs> but yeah jacket they still completely slay as a live act they've gotten to the point where they're one of those bands that really doesn't need to put out too many records so long as they keep touring i mean i think that they probably should put out a new studio album sooner and later but they're just uh gotten to be an incredible incredible live band filling all these huge spaces but that's a good record so what do you got for number nine? So my number nine is a compilation, a greatest hits basically, uh, from the group Mogwai, celebrate their 20th anniversary called Central Belters. Uh, I came to Mogwai late, admittedly. Uh, the album Hardcore Will Never Die, But You Will uh, was a huge record for me in 2011. Specifically the opening track, White Noise. I absolutely loved it. Um, and this record is like... 40 songs on it, something crazy like that, that spans from their earliest 1995, 1996 uh, singles all the way up to um, 2001, 2000, or excuse me, 2013, 2014. Um, and it just was a really well put together greatest hits. Um, you know, you hit, you have songs uh, like Mogwai Fear Satan, 
Uh, I'm Jim Morrison. I'm dead. Mexican Grand Prix. How to be a werewolf. The Lord is out of control. I mean, some of like my favorite songs from Mogwai and just going across the board uh, with the band, like to hear it all compilated in three discs, basically over 20 years was just such a cool experience. And I remember listening to this album a ton when it came out and, uh, you know, just ended up on my list. I, I, I haven't listened to it as much in the years since just because like, it's a massive undertaking. Whenever I do want to listen to it, it's like a two and a half, three hour long album basically. But, uh, this was definitely something I listened to a ton in 2015. They have some of the greatest song titles. <laughs> It's like the music is good enough on its own. The song titles make it next level. I know, like, I think that was one of the original things that got me about them. I mean, I remember the first time when I when I read the review for Hardcore Will Never Die, but you will. The song title, or the album title was like half the reason I was like, I kind of have to listen to this band. Right. Um, but then, yeah, songs like The Lord Is Out of Control, um, The Sun Smells Too Loud, which I think we featured in episode eight. Yes, very early yeah, episode yeah yes. and that's got like one of the just happiest riffs i've ever heard in any song um and yeah it's just it's very addicting music and when you have uh the, the the titles that they have it just uh i don't know it just fits really well okay so i've got for my number nine new order music complete who in the hell thought that new order would put out an amazing album in 2015 <laughs> i certainly didn't I mean, I love New Order, but people think of them as generally being a really uh, good 80s band that kind of, of course, rose from the ashes of Joy Division initially. Some people know them from um, their 1993 hit Regret off of the Republic album. But yeah, so in 2015, they made an album without founding bass player Peter Hook, who I guess just had too many falling outs with um, singer and guitarist lyricists, if you can call them lyrics, uh, Bernard Sumner. So they hired a guy who basically just sounds exactly like Peter Hook doing like the really melodic bass riffs way high up on the neck. And this album, um, they of course embraced the ridiculous, silly rhyming lyrics that New Order is known for, but lots of uh, European house pianos, really infectious beats. Um, it just was... One of my favorite phrases that keeps cropping up is uh, this is an album that was far better than it has any right to be. Hmm. It was, probably should even be higher than number nine just based on how much I listened to it that year, especially um, a song called People on the High Line, which when we saw New Order uh, that year, me and my wife, Bernard Sumner said, this song was inspired by me taking a walk on the High Line in New York City. Like, oh. <laughs> so good album they're actually doing a residency in miami florida in january they're playing like four nights in a row at some theater miami i don't exactly know why they're doing it but that's kind of cool i know they followed up this album with the record called complete music i think which is just extended versions of all the songs in this album plus b-sides kind of neat i think they put out a recent live album but yeah new order is uh surprisingly vibrant in both 2015 and 2019 so very nice good record very nice and that is one of those records that uh i am not surprised to see on your list (laughs) 
Um, Take that at face value. <laughs> uh, I have not listened to that record, but uh, your your tabs on um, music that I only know as singles in the eighties is uh, never mm. never ceases to amaze me. Um, my number eight is a record from Colin Stetson and Sarah Newfeld called "Never Were the Way She Were." Uh, Colin, Stetson, Colin Stetson is a baritone saxophonist who put out some of my favorite solo records of uh, the decade. Uh, just mind-bending saxophone music. And Colin Stetson has basically appeared everywhere uh, in the indie rock uh, circles over the last um, over the last decade. Um, and Sarah Newfeld is the violinist from Arcade Fire. Uh, this record, we actually featured a song from it uh, in episode one when, unlike any other jam I can remember that we featured, we featured two segments of the Camden Chalk Dust because it's so good and we also didn't totally know how to structure these episodes yet. Uh, we featured the Bliss guitar uh, early on with like LCD Sound System, David Bowie's Heroes, Brian Eno, Warren Drugs. And then the back half that segues into Rogay, uh, I featured this song because it sounds like uh, organic techno music. And uh, it's kind of, really, I recently re-listened this record as I'm going through my top 200 albums of the decade. And there's just some wild stuff happening here between Stetson and Neufeld. And Colin Stetson can like go back and forth between these like trills and like, really rapid notes to like these very deep and earthy tones that he just like blares out it's unbelievable um so this was definitely a record i had on throughout the year um was a real cool surprise from stetson and i haven't really listened to anything he's done since i don't think there's too many records that he's put out since then. he put out a ton uh in the early part of the decade but um uh definitely definitely love this stuff uh what do you have for number eight dave have Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly. What's the yam? What's the yam? SCMs. <laughs> the yam is Brother Butcher Pryor. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, what was it, King Kunta? That song's amazing. King Kunta, yeah. It's amazing. got the greatest bass line. I know, dude. <laughs> that song, that's a slamming song. So, yeah, it's a Pimp a Butterfly. Very, very good album. Very dense album. It almost mm-hmm. feels a bit like homework, which I think um, when we get to our next series of lists down the line, they'll have a Kendrick Lamar album that kind of um, feels less like homework. But yeah, there's a lot of great songs to Butterfly. There's, of course, the aforementioned King Kunta. These Walls is awesome. Uh, yeah, it's big, it's dense, it's very well produced. It was a fantastic follow-up to the Lamar album Good Kid, Mad City. And at this point, it kind of established that this kid is one to watch. He's the real deal. So aside from King Kunto, which I think I put on my Spotify, like my all-time favorites mix, I don't listen to it very much anymore, but I know that it's good. I know it's good too, and I have it later on my list, so I will hold off all thoughts about it. <laughs> so my number seven is a record by a band named Future Birds out of Athens, Georgia. Uh, the album Hotel Parties. Uh, Future Birds we featured in 
episode, I want to say 41, uh, Set Your Soul Planet Free, but it might have been episode 42. I can't really remember at this point in time. Uh, But they are a group out of Athens, Georgia. Um, Their shows, a ton of energy. Their sound has country rock just kind of fused into it. Reverb-soaked four-part harmonies, pedal steels, banjos, mandolins. They're kind of like psychedelic country in some cases. Um, I saw them for the first time this past January, and it was just an amazing beer-soaked show. I had just like this revelation about them when I was watching them play because they're all my age and they've clearly all been on the road for 10 years and they've like made it to this level where they can pretty much sell out any show that fits 500 to 1500 people. So it feels like a big party, but you know that they're just like working their asses off uh, week after week, month after month on the road and you can just kind of start to see the wear and tear on them. It was just kind of a wild moment to realize like how much these guys have dedicated and what level they haven't gotten to. And I some ways don't totally know why they haven't because uh, live they're really talented. Their songs are great. They've all got really good hooks. This album for me uh, came out in, I want to say like mid 2015. My brother passed this to me uh, in October 2015 he came out and dumped a bunch of records on my phone um, when he was coming out to meet my son for the first time and this kind of was one of those records very different from Mandolin Orange in the sense that well it was similar there was like this like Americana sound that was starting to bleed into what I was listening to but it was very different in the sense that this like brought me back to having zero responsibilities and being like 25 years old and was kind of a record that it like hurt to love it as much as it did because that part of my life was just gone. But the songs were so good that I just kept coming back to it. Uh, And I can't really stop listening to it at this point in time. It's uh, one of my favorite records of the overall decade and has really, uh, really hung around there. So Future Birds Hotel Parties, number seven for me. What do you got, Dave? My number seven is Tame Impala Currents. Um, I liked this album a lot at the time. I've soured on it a bit Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it really, it goes a little too 80s Phil Collins for me at times. It's songs like Yes, I'm Changing, and it's kind of the new Tame Impala songs that Kevin Parker has played so far kind of double down on this kind of like roller disco yacht rock sound, which is fine, except that when you hear the guitars that um, they featured on their first album Lonerism, you kind of want them back so when I get my Tim and Pala fix, I usually get it from Lonerism and not Currents mm-hmm. I mean, Currents is, you know, it's a good record in and of itself maybe not the best Tim and Pala record uh, Let It Happen is a really good song Reality in Motion, also very good just not my favorite Tim and Powell, and I'm kind of worried about what it pretends for their future. But I liked it enough in 2015 to put it in my top 10. I once again share similar thoughts and will reflect them. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, my number six is an album by the Swedish indie rock band The Amazing. Uh, it's called Picture You. 
yet another record that uh, my brother passed along to me. Um, this is honestly until I heard Golden Hour by Casey Musgraves. I feel like this was like the best produced, best sounding record I heard all decade. Uh, maybe a deeper understanding is 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 better. This just like is so crisp. There's such like gloss around the edges, but not so much that it like dilutes the notes and the guitars. Um, the songs are like seven, eight, nine minutes and kind of bleed into each other. Uh, the lead singer in the band, uh, Reem Fisk, uh, is he just has a super unique voice that just sounds like bell. I mean, the thing about this band, like, there's no distortion, there's no sour notes. It's very forward. It's very uh, pleasant. It's very, um, it's like very much based in uh, this like perf- perfect little like dream world. And uh, I listened to this a ton in the late fall, early winter, 2015. And it's definitely been in my rotation ever since. I haven't necessarily liked their two albums that have come out since then. Um, They kind of, I mean, they sound very similar to Picture You, but almost in a way that like, I don't know, it just doesn't sound like development. And so I kind of am always stuck on this record and uh, it's definitely something that I'll continue to come back to and um, will definitely show up on my favorite albums of the decade list. This is a a really great record. It's a very kind of sad isolation record. Like they record the whole thing in a cave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like um, what you would imagine Scandinavia would feel like in the dead of winter. Dark Scandinavia. Yes, but it, it, not being metal, it, it like takes indie rock melancholy to a just totally different player, to a total like uh, home for it. So my number six album is Alabama Shakes Sound and Color. Again, when I was doing some like review uh, for this podcast, uh, the song called Give Me All Your Love from that album came on my headphones. And I just said, God damn, why don't I listen to this album every day? This is such a unique sounding album. I mean, I think it was the producer Sean Everett who's everywhere. Like he's worked with Casey Musgraves, he worked with Mike Gordon. Um, he's just been everywhere and nowhere since uh, like 2015. This is the record almost kind of establishes brilliance. I mean, you've got the powerhouse vocals of Brittany Howard. The songwriting is great, and they really use the studio as an instrument in of itself to get something that sounds extremely funky and extremely cool. And I kind of, God, it's been four years since they put out a studio album. I think Brittany Howard's doing like a solo tour. I mean, she kind of is the Alabama Shakes in a way, but I mean, this record was such a huge step forward over their first album, which, while not bad, was more like standard issue. Howlin' Rock and Blues. This one was uh, quite next level. Really awesome blues psychedelia. And it sounds as good now as it did back in 2015. So my number five is a band that we have discussed a number of times on this podcast. And I know that it's going to appear at some point later on Dave's list. Yes. Uh, that is the self-titled debut of a band no longer named Viet Cong. Vietcong. Now they're called Preoccupations. Preoccupations. Um, 
So this record came out in the winter of 2015. I had it on like a playlist to listen to for a long, long time. But as I noted at the top of this, I was in a deep fish listening project in the spring of 2015. So a lot of albums got pushed to the summer for me for a lot of reasons. Um, Summer 2015, I had a really awesome job. I was working for a company where I was uh, working with students going abroad for internships and uh, we had uh, students coming to Washington DC and I was tasked with basically being their uh, kind of fusion between advisor and guide and teacher for, for their time there and kind of worked with them through career development challenges as they were going through their internships and had to play travel guide and it was a cool way to kind of like give back to everything that had been given to me over the last two years or the previous two years while I was traveling um and in early June I had to go into DC to kind of get everything set up for their housing confirm everything for their internships and I spent the whole day traveling across DC and ended up going to a Cubs game at uh, Nationals Park that night that we unfortunately lost but uh in that time um, I listened to a ton of music on that day. I had my headphones in basically all day. It was kind of a solitary day for me. And I remember going through and being like, you know what? I've been listening to Fish so much for the last uh, four or five months. I'm just going to dedicate today to like blasting through a bunch of records I need to listen to. And I threw on this record. I'd re- read a bunch of really good reviews, but I didn't totally know what to anticipate. And the first few notes of Newspaper Spoons, just like knocked me over like a fucking ton of bricks i mean just unbelievable i was on the train listening to this just like volume turned up all the way and the whole record is under 40 minutes i remember listening to it in the afternoon and just feeling totally bowled over and it's a record that i never got like obsessed with to the point where i had to listen to it daily and i don't really know how you could it's so bleak so dark but it has such a great groove to it um i listen to it a lot and every time i've listened to it uh it just has this like power that like takes complete control over me so this record is gonna end up very high on my top albums of the decade list this record had a huge impact for me in terms of kind of helping me listen to music that was outside of my own personal norm um and really kind of trusting that when I had an instinct for something that was going to be pretty good, it was going to be pretty good. So for my, for my number five is an album that um, I have to listen to on a fairly regular basis. It is the comeback album from Veruca Salt on Ghost Notes. I mean, I was, I think, 15 years old when Veruca Salt put out their uh, first great crunchy power pop record, American Thighs. I even kind of like the follow-up, Eight Arms to Love You. And uh, this is uh, a very respectable chunk of mid-90s throwback rock and roll. It's produced by Brad Wood. I mean, it sounds like it came right from 1995. It whispered to a screen dynamics, clean vocals, uh, sorry, and clean vocals, and crunchy guitars, and just well-written songs and female harmonies. It's... uh, was quite good. I, mean, I didn't really expect it to be a good Veruca Salt album in 2015, but I was pleasantly surprised, and I listened to it far more than I would have expected. So, looks like your number four, Brian, is uh, something we're already kind of familiar with. 
My number four is Currents by Tam and Paula. And uh, I share very similar sentiments to you on this record. This was a record I listened to a lot in the summer and fall of 2015. I remember when it came out, the song Let It Happen just felt like a huge step forward for uh, Kevin Parker. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest of the record definitely connects with me. I listened to it a lot. I loved the groove. I loved the music on it. I definitely soured on it. I re-listened to it recently, and um, it it didn't do a ton for me. I'm right there in the same boat with you on this one. the, The new stuff from him feels like it doubles down on this, and um you know, I've, I remember I first listened to Tame Impala. I found the record Inner Speaker that came out in 2010, I want to say. And, yeah, um, yeah, and that was like a really cool psychedelic guitar forward record. Um, it felt a little one note, but I definitely liked what it was from an effort standpoint. The record Lonerism was just like a huge, huge record. And um, one of my favorite records of the overall decade, I think it was my number two album of 2012. Um, yeah, that was awesome. That was a rules. that was a big fish put that album quite a bit during um I know during the holiday run they played it in between sets. Yes, yeah, and it it um that to me felt like the best. It still feels like the best of what Kevin Parker's been capable of doing as a as an artist. Uh, I feel like Currents tried to push that sound in a towards a logical destination of of groove and he almost basically removes the guitar from the overall album Um, you know at the end of the day I loved this record in 2015 part of the joy of this uh, little exercise of going through all these uh, of these lists is that we kept them true to what they were at the time Um, but it definitely hasn't held up for me uh, as much in in recent years Um, and you know, I, I just hope he picks up a guitar again. <laughs> yes, that's all I would say, because he's a really fucking good guitarist and a really good songwriter when he plays a guitar. I would agree entirely. So my number four is from an artist named Torres. It's actually, that is the gnome de rock of one Mackenzie Scott, I think lives currently in Brooklyn by way of Tennessee. She went to Belmont University in Nashville. The album is called Sprinter. If you're a fan of mid-90s PJ Harvey, say, uh, from the To Bring You My Love era, you will definitely find something to love on this record. She's got the kind of crunchy, watery 90s guitar production. Um, Her vocals are very well wrought. I mean, not much to say except an excellent example of kind of like goth alternative rock album that could have come out any time over the past 20 years. She's a really, really good songwriter. This is her second album. I think her third album was called Three Futures. It's also good. She was signed to 4AD and then unceremoniously dropped. I think she recently signed to Merge Records, which is awesome because that is a fan-fucking-tastic label. And as of press time, is getting her, uh, her fourth album ready. So... Taurus gets a very high high recommendation for me. I think probably at this point, Sprinter's your best album. So my number three is a record Dave talked about a little bit earlier. Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly. Um, I agree with you. This album feels like homework. It feels dense. Um, Different from Mad City and Damn, 
in that it's more overtly like jazz and kind of uh, atmospheric and almost academic compared to some of his other stuff. I mean, Kendrick Lamar's a really great lyricist. Um, Introduced the world to Kamasi Washington. Introduced the world to Kamasi Washington. Um, This record just feels sprawling in the way of like uh, 70s, early 70s jazz funk record would to me. Um, It feels really wild. It feels really of a time. I mean, if you go back to 2015 and you think about what was happening from a movement standpoint, um, thinking immediately about Black Lives Matter, I think about the fact that, you know, at that time, um, we were pretty used to the idea of Barack Obama in the White House. And yet there were there was a ton of racial tension starting to spur up within the streets. Um, And this is predating really because this album came out in march of 2015 this predates really the idea that trump could be president and the realization of how severe the problem of white supremacy really was boiling up and into the surface for 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 our society and so this felt like such a statement to me um and you know i i don't relate to anything that's sung about in this but i just to me it, it feels like i'm reading a book on a world that I've never lived in. I've never been a part of. And sonically, uh, from like the grooves of King Kuntas to like all the interludes that uh, have Kamasi Washington just littered across them. Um, song I, uh, I mean, there's just, there's so much on here. It's such a dense record packed with such deep ideas that uh, when I go back to it, um, I get almost sad for a time and a place that, uh, um, it felt like it was full of opportunity in a lot of ways, but also very angry and very, uh, very forthright in a lot of ways. But um, I don't know. This is uh, I think a really special record. Probably my favorite from Lamar through the decade, uh, even if Damn and Mad City are a bit smoother and a bit more easy to listen to. This really struck a chord with me, and uh, I still listen to it to this day. You're right. It's... Um it'd be a little tough to recall that when Obama was president I and mean, that was still like Black Lives Matter yeah. that was Ferguson also in 2015 yeah so. yeah this really seemed to um, like I said and I and I it's it's hard, it's hard for me to talk about because I, I, I literally never li- li- lived this life and I'm, I can't relate right. to so right. much of this but musically listening to this seeing what we were seeing on the news um, this felt like a both like a statement and like a celebration all in, in the way that like I would imagine um, uh, like a um, uh, like a Sly and the Family Stone record or like a Funkadelic record from like the uh, from the early 70s that just like right. places a stamp on a culture that while I may not be a part of um, is a huge part of our culture and our lives and our existence and uh it just felt very, very important to me. So I've half my number three, Jason Isbell, something more than free. It's a very well produced, very pleasant Americana album. It's um, it's not quite as severe or as good as the one which preceded it, Southeastern, but it's also mm-hmm. much easier to listen to as it doesn't have songs like Elephant. Or uh, like songs that she sung in the shower. Yeah, one of those records that you can just 
put on, play it from start to finish. It's um, it just seems easier than the last album. I think with each Isbo record from Southeastern, I probably like a little less than the one that came before. Kind of like I like the Nashville sound a little bit less than something more than free. Just in terms of guy writing like fantastic songs that ordinary average people can relate to and sound good in the car and good on the stereo. And he gets really organic production from Dave Cobb. It's just a classic sounding album. One that I still go back to on a fairly regular basis with songs like 24 Frames, Children of Children, the title track, I think Hudson Commodore, is that a song on it? I believe yeah. so. I, uh, I, I kind of share sentiments to you. I mean, Southeastern is still my favorite of his. Um, yes. But I, I, went, I went and saw him on the 2017 tour, the Nashville Sound Tour. Um, Southeastern is really heavy. Like, it's great. Yeah, I know. It, I know what you mean. It's like, it's an it's an investment to listen to. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, Where I think that... Right, like I think you know, and, and you know, uh, I was certainly happy. I remember listening to this record, and be like, okay, Isabel is in a good place. Like that wasn't that that success from Southeastern wasn't like a fluke, and then he fell down the rabbit hole again. Like he's in a good place in life, Absolutely. and I think it's really hard to write like that. <laughs> I think like you look at you know some of Trey Anastasio's uh, songwriting and when he's writing about being really happy, it's, it's really hard to write about something that's non-conflicting. <laughs> and, and I think yeah. uh, you get a lot of that on this record and um, seeing it live, and especially like the songs where he, debut, or he um, uh, duets with his wife, uh, there's just, there's, there's a, lot, uh, a lot to be joyful for. So I, I, I hear you. So my number two is a record that comes as well from fateful day in Washington, D.C. when I discovered two albums that would stick with me throughout the year. Uh, Jamie XX, In Color. Um, I am not a fan of the band The XX. Are, are you? I love the first album dearly and then they fall off for me. Okay. That's I definitely know that, that like the first XX album, so long as there's people buying coffee in like inner cities. <laughs> That is like a coffee shop staple. Yes. And then um, these two records, I felt like as I got older, I found them hard to relate to. Yes. Just, you know, I associate that with with my twenties. Yeah, hundred percent. I um, I still, I, I totally get why people love the XX, the, the original album. Um, I worked in a restaurant in 2011 and 2012 that played that record like literally on repeat. Um, and it just kind of, it reminds me of uh, uh, slicing grab locks and um, charcuterie boards and uh, cleaning up at 1130 at night when my feet were hurting. So I kind of fucking hate that record a lot. Curse um, Life, such a jam. My God. It is. And the whole album, like it's one of those records that um, I could put on and I know every single song. Um, but Jamie XX is the DJ in the XX and um, makes a lot of the atmospheric weird sounds behind the bassist and guitarist. Um, he put out this record in color in June of 2015 and it just blew my fucking mind. Um, 
So I remember Mark Richardson wrote something about this record. He reviewed this album and he wrote this. He opened his review with this. The sampler is a memory machine. This is true in both the literal sense. Memory is one of the device's key specs, measuring how much sonic information it can hold in its mind at once, but also as a metaphor. When you capture and play back a sound, transposing it into a new context, you are, quote, playing the memories that have attached themselves to the original piece of music as much as you are playing a particular piece of sound. The producer, Jamie Smith, better known to the world as Jamie XX, is a sampling artist and a memory artist. He does things with the music he's absorbed and the associations that are embedded within it. So when we listen to his music, we aren't just listening to music played by people in a room. We're listening to his listening and hearing his hearing. He senses memories in certain sounds, some of which he was there to experience the first time, some of which have been handed down to him and transformed them into something new and personal. So I remember reading that uh, in early June of 2015 and being like, I have to go ahead and listen to this album. And it just blew me away uh, in, in in my first listen and ever since. Uh, it kind of represents like an interesting breaking point for me. This is one of the last records to appear in my top albums list of the decade that is like very much DJ focused and very uh, like dance and, and ambient focused. Um, so it kind of represents for me like kind of the culmination of, uh, in some cases, this like journey I'd been on since 2009 of just capturing up all this beat driven, ambient sampled type of music um, and also kind of a turning point for me because I really transition, as you can see from much of this list, towards a more Americana type sound. So um, I love this record still. I listened to it recently. I've been going through my top albums of the decade list, and it uh, still holds up. It still represents kind of a big moment for me in terms of a realization sonically, as well as um, these songs are songs like Gosh uh, that opens up the record. Just unbelievable. Uh, the noises that come out of there are it sounds like something from your imagination but but like you couldn't even have like pictured yourself Uh, really really incredible stuff Um, I love this record and uh, it will definitely stay um, in my rotation for years to come and also the the album cover is one of my favorites of the overall decade it's a cool record not entirely my thing I listened to it a few times one of those things where I say I appreciate that this is good not up my alley, but quite good. All the same. But kind of... Yeah, be curious for me to see the XX make a fourth album. Kind of slumped a bit in album number two. I think album three kind of revived their uh, like commercial yeah. thing. And we'll see where they go or where he goes. I think he's probably like the most recognizable member of that band now, right? Yeah, I would say so. I think so. Wasn't he, he did like a remix album with Gil Scott Heron? Yeah, We're New Here, I think is what it was called. Right, because he remixed the album I'm New Here. Yeah, which that was on my best of 2010. Um, We're New Here didn't make my best of records, but um, in listening back to him, it's it's a really great album. Okay. My number two, Slater Kinney, No Cities to Love. This was their comeback record. Of course, Slater Kinney went on indefinite hiatus in 2006 after their earth-shattering 2005 album The Woods came out. And No Cities to Love, it's a great album. It's a Slater Kinney album. It rocks very hard. It's very catchy. 
It's poignant. It's socially conscious. It's uh, people say with Slater Kinney, they're one of the few bands that um, if they go away for nine years and come back. People actually want to hear the new songs. Hmm. It's uh, it's just a really fantastic album. It's much better than the album that Slater Kinney just put out four weeks ago. Now that Janet Weiss is no longer in the band, um, and I was very excited for Slater Kinney putting out new music because they have been one of my favorite bands of all time. I've seen them multiple, multiple times. And so when this album was announced, the first single, Bury Our Friends, came out. Good song, not the best on the album. We figured, all right, if Slater Kinney is going to put the effort in to make a new record, it's going to have to be good. And it was. It charges out of the gates. It's just... Um, won't belabor the point too much, but if you've ever been a fan of this band at any point in time, this is a really strong effort and one of the best comeback slash reunion albums I can think of. And I still listen to it quite often. Yeah, I remember listening to this record. I loved this album. Um, I remember listening to it and my first thought was like, did I put on the right album or did this come out in like the early 2000s or like the late 90s? Like, Right. It sounds so classic in the way that so many comeback records just can't. Yeah, it's when they played those songs live, people got excited. People actually wanted to hear yeah. like, songs like No Cities to Love and A New Wave and Bangless and Gimme Love. I think every song except the last song on the album, Fade, which actually isn't very good, they didn't play that song live. Every other song in the album has been played live multiple times. But the last one, kind of like a Black Sabbath-y lurch that doesn't have much in the way of a hook. They said, eh, all right, we don't have to play that. <laughs> They're hooks, man. They're unbelievable. Um, so my number one is uh, a record from a band that has appeared on my top albums list every single year that they put out an album this decade. Will be interesting to see if their 2019 record ends up on my list. I haven't even begun to think about my top albums of the year. To focus on the decade right now, but this is not my favorite record from them this decade. But it is the only one to make it to my number one spot, and that is Deer Hunters' "Fading Frontier," which I was surprised. Uh, friend of the pod, Ste- friend of the pod, Stephen Hyden, uh, put out an essay right after, right around the time that. Um, Deer Hunter's most recent record Why Hasn't Everyone Already Disappeared came out um, where he said that this was a uh, kind of missed opportunity for the band I love this record Um, I don't know if it's personal uh, that I love this record this came out really quickly after my son was born really shortly after my son was born and um, this kind of is there with that Mandolin Orange record as something I would put on in the mornings Uh, it's kind of the most mellow Deer Hunter record that has been put out it's a lot more melodic and a lot more uh, Americana based than uh, the record that preceded it, Monomania, which was kind of a fuzzed out, noisy garage punk album. Um, I just love I love the songwriting, um, the song Breaker, uh, the song Living My Life. I mean, they just all really resonated closely with me during that point in time for me. And uh, I'll put it on here uh, on a regular basis because it still kind of holds up and it's kind of the closest thing you get to a nice deer hunter record that you can kind of put on for lots of people and uh it sounds like just a rock band rather than 
their kind of avant weird sound that's all always fused into what they do I, I definitely prefer that side of them to this but i really like this record and it hit me in a big way in 2015 and um well it may be the weakest number one i have of the decade just because i don't think it will end up in my top 20 of the decade um it's it's definitely a record that uh, of a time and place was important and um i still think it's uh it, it holds up really well it's a very pretty album yeah there you kind of put it on look out your window maybe you see some rolling hills maybe you see the ocean you know it's kind of pretty and mellow and wispy and i can see where Stephen hyden was coming from but i like that album not for me yeah i like it good so my number one is brian's number five Viet Cong, self-titled hmm. brian said he didn't see how you could get obsessed over this album and listen to it every day well <laughs> i didn't really hang out in 2015 because that's all i knew in 2015 was listening to this album every day <laughs> that's awesome this album hits all of my happy spots post-punk bass lines check cavernous production that sounds like it was recorded in an ice cave check really grim and depressing early Depeche Mode like lyrics with guys that sound like they're way too out of touch with their feelings check 11 minute driving song with a repetitious bit that sounds like you're constantly banging your head against the wall repeatedly (laughs) that's there too the last song is called Death it's got this part that goes bang 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 yeah it's very much worth listening to and then um the last three songs being uh continental shelf and silhouettes and death are just like oh god it's so fucking good only has seven songs it's very pure it's very depression mode it's very um it's funny i'm uh friends, I guess I'm still friends, haven't spoken to him in a while, a guy who writes for Stereo Gum named Ryan Lees, who writes um, he's a fantastic writer, really big on the classic rock tip, I think he's about 10 years younger than I am, and yet he still has a huge wealth of knowledge I guess at one point he told me he was um, a tour bus driver for Viet Cong, or a company that might have tour, and he said like, you know, the albums, they sound like really, really dark, crazy, depressed, but in real life, they're just normal weed-smoking bros. <laughs> okay. It kind of saps some of their mystique. He's like, I know, you hang out with them, they just like crack jokes and smoke weed and like fart in the core bus. <laughs> okay. But that album's awesome. That will unquestionably be in my top albums of the decade, and I still take that out at least once a month, especially the last song, which is just an exhilarating roller coaster of banging your head against the wall until you are profusely bleeding. <laughs> so yeah the last uh, they're, like I said they're called Preoccupations now so they put out three total records the second album kind of dipped a bit but the third one new material is also very very good so I would highly recommend checking that one out as well it came out last year Definitely, uh, I mean no insult by the fact that I couldn't listen to it every day. It was one of those records that every time I put it on, I was just all consumed. But uh, the the amazing thing is, uh, a year earlier, 
2014, we both had the exact same top album, The War on Drugs, Lost in the Dream. Here we have different albums and uh, very different reasons for why we have them. That's why the pod works so well, mm. right? Yes. So we want to thank you all for hanging out with us here for our top albums of 2015. So we have another bonus episode coming up here in a few days uh, as we make our march towards top albums of the decade thank you all for listening uh thanks for hanging with us thanks for coming out holding hands and singing kumbaya and going beyond the pond i got a bone to pick i don't want you monkey mouth motherfucker sitting in my throne again i'm mad but i ain't stressing true friends one question, bitch, where you and I was walking? Now I run a game, got the whole world talking. King Kunta, everybody wanna cut the legs off him. Kunta, black man taking no losses. Oh yeah, bitch, where you and I was walking? Now I run a game, got the whole world talking. King Kunta, everybody wanna cut the legs off him. When you got the yams, what's the yams? The yams, the power that be, that be, that be, that be, You can smell it when I'm walking down the street. Oh yes, but a rapper with a ghost rider what the fuck happened oh no i swore i wouldn't tell 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 but most of y'all share bars like you got the bottom bunk in a two-man sale something's in the water something's in the water and if i got a brown nose for some gold then i'd rather be a bum oh sorry